0: So at this time, we're going to do our scripture reading, and we've been doing this together out loud as a church, because that's how James would want us to do. Um, If you know the book of James and how it was written, it was written to be read aloud as a church together. And so this morning, you can find this on the screen or printed in your bulletin, James 1, verses 13 to 15. This is the English Standard Version. Um, So let's read the word of the Lord together. death. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning by your word, that it would come alive to us, it would convict us, it would encourage us, it would point us to Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So before I get started this morning, I want to encourage you, because we didn't have church in the building last week, we did send out a sermon that Alan Vance prepared last week from James 1 verse 12. Um, And it was a a beautiful sermon on trials uh, pointing us to the goodness of God that I'm just going to double down on a little bit this morning. I'm taking a lot from your sermon, Alan, and just doubling down on it. But I encourage you to go find that sermon. It's available uh, on our website or also on our YouTube page. Um, We'd love for you to listen to that sermon uh, as we continue on in this series. Today we're going to be picking up in James 1, 13 to 15. And our, our series title... You know, because we started at the beginning of January, we were thinking about the new year and, um, you know, what, what, what does 2022 have in mind or have in store for us? And so we, I entitled this New Year Reflections because James does invite us into this mirror, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks, the mirror of faith. Um, but I, as I was thinking about the New Year Reflections, and, you know, it's February. and No one's thinking about the new year anymore. Like we've kind of, we're just in it now. Um, however, it's a good time to check in on those New Year's resolutions. How are those going? Anybody make any New Year's resolutions this year? As we're a month in, it's a good time to kind of analyze where you are with those. And honestly, I asked a few people early on this year, like, "Do you have any New Year's resolutions?" And for the first time, I think in my life, most people told me that they weren't even trying one this year. Most people said, "We're not even doing it. It's not. It's not even worth it." And it just kind of got me thinking about the role of resolving to do something or being resolute about something at the beginning of the year. A lot of us have just given up on the concept, or at least by the first week of February, you've realized that you've already failed in what you're trying to do. And it can be kind of defeating. Um, I hope that's not the case for you, but I hope uh, if you have had of unresolved uh, New Year's resolution this year, that you're not uh, beating yourself up too bad. Because, in fact, according to Forbes.com, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail, according to them. And so I read a whole article about it, and they have a lot of reasons that they give for why resolutions fail. Um, and I could give you those, but you're not really here to hear what Forbes has to say. Um, but this morning, our text talks about temptation. And I think that does have a role in and not following through on a good thing that you're trying to do is temptation or being tempted, or as this text says, being lured or enticed into something is part of our life. We experience temptations of many kinds. And so temptation, at least how I think about it, is when you're committed to one thing and then something comes along Or maybe with temptation, more like someone comes along and tests your commitment to that thing. And that equals a temptation. Is when you're committed to something or trying to do something and then something else or someone else comes along and tests your commitment to that thing. And the interesting thing that Alan helped me learn this week when he and I met together, because we were talking about how these two text, the one that he preached on in verse 12 and how the one I'm preaching on today, verse 13 to 15, we were talking about how these texts go together because they're bunched right next to each other. And we started talking about what's the difference between a trial and a temptation? Because he was preaching on trials last week. I'm going to be preaching on temptation today. And you know what Alan helped teach me? The Greek word is the same word. It's actually the same word that's being used here. So if you were James's original readers, The word that's used in verse 12 of blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, that word that then comes up later, let no one say when he is tempted, that's the same Greek word. And so the original readers would have seen this as deeply connected concepts, trials and temptations. So we beg the question then this morning, why does the English translation not do that? Why did they change it to temptation? And that's one of the questions we're going to be investigating this morning. And I think just to get it started is, I think, one of the reasons why there's a difference here in English is that when many of us experience a trial in life, we make it personal. We can turn, maybe it's to God or maybe it's to someone else, but we say, I'm experienced this because of you. Because you tempted me or you lured me away into it. And now I'm experiencing a trial. And oftentimes we can do that to God and say, it's your fault, God. Or why are you testing me or tempting me? When you know that I struggle with something, why would you, why would you lure me into that? Why would you tempt me with that? And that's where this text comes in as a corrective of the minute we go down that road is the minute that James 1, 13 to 15 can be a help. What do you do when temptation comes? That's the practical question we're gonna ask this morning. James helps us with the practical and the practical we're trying to figure out this morning is when you are tempted, what should you do? How can James teach us? So let me give you a couple of points. Number one, looking at verse 13, when you're tempted, Remember who God is. Remember who he is. And again, I owe a lot of this to Alan from his sermon last week. Remember who God is. Who is God actually? Is he a tempter? Is he someone who wants to lure us into something that he knows we struggle with so that we can experience a trial? Because sometimes we convince ourselves that's what maybe God wants to do. And James 1.13 says... Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? Because as Alan preached about last week, God is good. God is good. And again, listen to Alan's sermon last week because he just beautifully brought home this point of the goodness of God. And the scriptures have the goodness of God written throughout the pages of scripture. I'll just give you a couple. Psalm 34, eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to go in and have a fellowship time in just a moment where we're going to drink coffee and eat some snacks. And you're going to have a, a reaction whenever you put something in your mouth of, is that good or bad? And just the experiential part here of who God is. Taste and see that God is good. What about Psalm 27? verse 13 I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living or in the new testament now titus verse 3 chapter 3 verse 4 but when the goodness and the loving kindness of our god and savior appeared the goodness of god god is good and because god is good that means that he's actually free from temptation as verse 13 says He cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He can't. That's not his character. That's not who he is. He is free from that. It is not part of his character. Because he is good, he does not tempt, nor can he be tempted. It's a character trait of God. And because God is good and free from temptation, on the contrary, then he actually can intercede for us when we are tempted or when we experience a trial. He intercedes for us. He steps into the space between temptation and falling, and he intercedes for us. Romans 8, the spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's how much he cares. Remember who God is. And then lastly, because God intercedes for us, even more so than his character then is one of mediation. He's a mediator. First Timothy 2 says there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The interceding and the mediation. He's not the tempter who's coming in to try to split. He's the mediator coming in to bind together. Charles Spurgeon, I think think I've said this quote a few weeks ago, but it's too good to not repeat again. So here we go. He says, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And his heart is good. So when you're facing a temptation, remember who God is. Remember in that moment, And if you haven't heard it until right now, remember what I'm saying to you and then find it in the scriptures. God is good. Go back and listen to Alan's sermon last week. God is good. Hear others around you say it. How When we've gone through temptations, when we've gone through trials, God's goodness has not gone away. Remember that when you're being tempted. And don't be tempted to say, God, this is your fault. You're leading me into this. Because God doesn't do that. God is good. It's a basic point. But... We forget that all the time. Number two, what else should you do? Let's look at these next two verses here verses 14 and 15. Number two, I'm gonna encourage you and myself, because again, when you preach, you preach to yourself, to rediscover the origin of temptation. Where did temptation start? And here's the beautiful thing the children's story already told us, they already talked about the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3. By the way, I live with the person who's doing the children's story. and I didn't know she was going to say that. And that happens, it seems like most weeks, she gets to a core point that I can just say, remember what Sarah said in the children's story? Genesis 3 in the garden. Where does temptation originate? As we said in point number one, temptation does not originate with God. Then who does it originate with? It doesn't originate even with Satan, according to this verse. So, yes, Satan comes into the Garden of Eden, and we're going to deal with Satan in just a few minutes. I'm going to talk about Satan, the tempter, because he does tempt. But before even that, the origin of temptation, according to our passage here, verses 14 and 15, is us. We are the origin of our own temptation. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire there's no scapegoat here each of us our temptation begins with our own desire and then that desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death so what is the desires that's mentioned here If our desire, our own desire, is what is luring and enticing us, what is that meaning? The word here is kind of a complicated word, I think. It's kind of getting at this idea of our passions or our cravings or our longings. And that can be for good or bad things. There's examples of both throughout the scriptures of good and bad desires. Our good desires are God-given things that you were made in his image and we crave for things that God craves for things like community or friendship or joy or pleasure or beauty. Those are all desires that we have. Those are longings that we have deep in each of our hearts that we, we want to see met that God has put there. And I want you to hear that those desires are not, are not broken in and of themselves. Those are, those are good desires But the reality of living in a broken world is that those desires are fractured and then they can turn into evil desires and not can, they do. So when you look under the microscope of your own heart or zoom in, you will see good desires turned bad. So we're easily lured or dragged away and enticed by a good desire that's then, that's then been added onto or changed or made wicked or destructive out of a good desire. So again, you can just think through many of these examples, but the easiest one to think of for me is take the good desire of a desire for intimacy or relationship or love or, uh, or togetherness and then twist that and it turns into A lustful desire for something else outside of intimacy, outside of pleasure, outside of connection. So take a marriage desire and then turn it into an adulterous desire. It's the same origin place, one out of God's heart, one born out of brokenness. Taking a good desire and wrecking it by going outside of God's covenant desire for it. So again, the problem is not the desire. The problem is the sinful nature behind the desire. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful and wicked beyond all things. Who can understand it, Jeremiah says. We're going to get into the next couple of weeks, I think beginning next week. Yeah, verse verse 16. I'll, I'll just give you a preview for next week. Verse 16, do not be deceived. There's a couple of times where James mentions that going forward. And we're going to hit that theme pretty hard the next few weeks because we live in a world of deception And it's tied into the theme of temptation, but it's a little different. But we live in a world of deception. And part of the problem is, is our own heart deceives us. Things that we want are actually things that we've been deceived into thinking are good for us, but they actually will destroy us. And when that temptation becomes uninhibited, it starts small, then it grows and grows and turns into a full-fledged sin that we just live into. And then, as you know, the scriptures say, sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's the words of Paul in Romans 5, 12. But there's two more variables at play here with temptation. And I mentioned one of them already. And one is there is another, there's an evil being in the world, Satan. He is the tempter. There is a real tempter who sees your broken, sinful desire and partners with you in it and says, wait a second, that sinful desire is not so bad. You should continue on in that. Keep pursuing that. Keep going deeper into that. Satan, see here, he's not the originator of it. He's simply the advocate for the wickedness that's already been born. He partners with you. He's the one that says, go do it. He makes it worse. He presses you deeper into it. He affirms when you want to sin. He brings deception and false teaching and will lead you further astray into temptation, into sin, into death. Even when it feels good, it actually is making it worse. But there's a second character at work here too. And the scripture talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, who we mentioned earlier, who is our our intercessor. He's our mediator. He fights for you this is not your conscience who's telling you hey this may be a bad thing it's not like the little angel and the demons on your shoulders that you see in cartoons this is the real living god who's speaking into your life and interceding for you he presses in in those moments and says if you're in christ do not listen to the tempter do not listen to the evil one do not trust your broken heart trust the transformed heart that jesus has given you if you trust in him and the Holy Spirit fights for you in that moment. So just know, let's, let's not go looking for a demon in every corner who's leading us astray, who's saying anytime something bad happens that it was a demon or Satan who led you there. Sometimes it is. But also remember that the Holy Spirit is fighting harder for you the other way. Lean on him. Trust in him. So my last point. So we talked about remembering who God is, rediscovering the origins of your temptation, which again is you. It's good to just own this. We tempt ourselves and then Satan comes alongside and, and helps with that. But number three, you know, Molly mentioned going backpacking in the White Mountains. And I was thinking of Bryn too, her husband, who has done, you know, amazing adventures in the mountains throughout the world. He leads another group of, uh, of students who do things outside a lot but I was thinking about you guys when I was making this point the third point here is trust your gear trust your gear what I mean by that is uh, you know I, I've heard a lot recently as the as the weather's gotten colder and more extreme and as the Winter Olympics have started uh, there's some people in the world who say there's no such thing as bad weather only inadequate clothing and it's really true if you, if you have the right gear, you can go out in any type of climate and be okay. Anything can be manageable. There's a there's a viral thing going on on the internet right now that I, I just saw. There's a, a brand of rain jacket that's super waterproof. Like, like like you can see the drops falling off as it hits your jacket. And it costs a lot of money because it's, it's really great waterproof material. But there's a, an internet thing going on where to prove this point, people are putting on this jacket and literally getting in their shower and turning on the shower to show how like it just falls off so easily because the gear is that good. It doesn't matter how much consistent water is hitting it, it falls to the side because the gear is good. And so what what will you wear or bring along throughout life to help you get through and to thrive? That's the question that temptation ultimately I think leads us to is, how do you persevere through temptation? What are you wearing throughout your life consistently so that when the temptation hits you, it falls off just as easily as that water hitting that jacket? What type of gear does someone bring when they wanna climb Mount Everest? They bring good gear, but they also bring with them a really good guide known as a Sherpa. Whatever gear you wear, you better trust it because all of us are tempted All of us are wearing some kind of gear to help us. And some of us are wearing really inadequate gear and we don't even notice it. And you wonder why you're shivering or you wonder why you're getting hypothermia. or you are wondering why you're falling into sense? Because the gear you have is inadequate for the trials and the temptations that you're facing. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 shows us how to overcome temptation. We don't have the time to read the whole text this morning, but I encourage you today, open up to Matthew 4 and watch Jesus as he's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Three times he withstands the tempting of the evil one. And it's because he has the right gear. He has the word of God. He has the Holy spirit. He has the persevering attitude of the one who is living righteously before God and full dependence on him in a perfect way that you and I can't do. So do not go home today and read Matthew four and then go try to emulate it. I don't, I don't encourage you to walk to the top of a high mountain and then, you know, be tempted by Satan in the same way and just try to mimic Jesus that way. Instead, wear what Jesus wears, which is his righteousness that he's freely giving to you by trusting in his name. The rugged cross that we sang about earlier, the reasons why it's beautiful and the most beautiful paradox in the world is because when Jesus laid down his life for you, he was actually giving you himself. Which is the perfect gear, the perfect thing to wear, the perfect one to put on so you can withstand anything that the evil one or the world or your own sinful desires come after. Wear his perfect robe of righteousness that he's giving to you freely by his grace in the person of Jesus. You see, Christianity has the best gear for attacking sin in the world because it's not about morality by itself. It's not about these empty platitudes or sayings. It's not about good ideas. It's about God himself being in you covering you, being what you cannot. And that is the glory of Christianity, the glory of being a follower of Jesus. Trust your gear. If you're a Christian, trust that what you're wearing is enough. Ephesians 6 is another great passage to look at, the armor of God. It talks about the sword of the spirit, the belt, the breastplate of righteousness, all these beautiful images Wear that, own that, trust in your gear as you go out into the world. And then attack the world in confidence, attack that sin. I was with Sarah this week and she was about to start a meeting on Zoom in our house and she had like two minutes. And she said, before my meeting starts, I think I'm gonna go clean the oven. And I just said, what an attacker. She's an attacker of life. She just goes after it. She had two minutes to spare. And instead of playing a game on her phone, like I probably would have done, she cleans the oven because she attacked life. And I said, well, I can learn from that. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And then 1 Timothy 4, 4 says that God has made all things good that he has created, including your desires, your passions, And so trust in him, trust in him, wear the good gear. I'll just close with this final story. It's from my daughter, Nora. I'm just affirming everybody in my family this morning because they're better than I am. My daughter, Nora, this week, we took her to swim lessons on Tuesday and she wasn't really looking forward to it. She said, Daddy, when will I be done with swim lessons? I just want to be done with it. Um, And I said, well, I think you'll be done with swim lessons when when you can fall in a pool and not drown. I think that's when swim lessons will be done. Uh, and she said, okay, because she realized that she probably, if she fell in the pool right now, she might be able to get herself up, but she wasn't that confident. But it's kind of the same for us. You know, when will you be done with temptation? When will you be done with going through trials? It's like, well, whenever whenever you can get yourself up and save yourself, that's when you'll be done with it. But that's. That's life, right? You're not going to be able to save yourself. Sin will always overtake you if you're doing it on your own power. But if you wear the gear of Jesus, swim lessons can be over today. Just trust in him. Go deeper into him. Do it alongside others. This This is the discipleship joy of a Christian, is trusting in him and being with other people who trust in him. And show us how to wear that gear day after day. Let me close us in prayer. We'll sing one more song. Lord, thank you that you've given us a way through temptation. And it's not through ourselves. It's not through our own efforts. But it's through you. It's through looking to you. Through trusting deeply in you. Through remembering who you are. By not giving ourselves an out. But falling heavily onto your, your goodness. Your character. So, Lord, I pray that would be our song as we leave this place today. We'd remember that you're sufficient. Your word is enough. We trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.